it's really my privilege to be able to share some thoughts with you this morning. I want to take just a moment to congratulate Harold and Cheryl on their upcoming retirement from the presidency of Nazarene Bible College. I remember the General Assembly when Harold was elected, <clears throat> excuse me, to represent our region as a trustee at NBC back in, uh, that would have been 19, or yeah, 1993. And uh, as Harold mentioned, I'm married to Cheryl's sister, Patty. You notice I didn't say older or younger. I left that just for your imagination. Um, but uh, Harold and Cheryl married in June, 1974, correct, Cheryl? And uh, Patty and I followed about seven months later. Actually, Patty and I started dating before they. I remember one day as I was going for a meal in Ludwig Hall at Olivet, Harold, or Bubba, as we called him in those days, sidled up to me and said, hey, Verge, how about putting a good word in for me with Cheryl? And I, I think I did, and it must have worked. And after we were both married, we actually lived in the same small apartment quad for a short amount of time. I was working nights at uh, Tinney Sales, and Harold was youth minister at Kankakee First. And during that time in the late afternoon, Harold and I would sometimes have some fierce wiffle ball games and uh, had a great time. I, I think, Cheryl, I remember that you worked for a short time at a local funeral home as a receptionist. And so I remember she would answer the phone, Mrs. Graves, may I help you? And uh, that sort of got people's attention when they would call in. As I look back, those seem like carefree times, but were they really? Life had its challenging moments even then, which had, could have pull, pulled all of us into paralyzing worry. Jeffrey Kluger wrote uh, in Time Magazine about a decade and a half ago, he said it would be a lot easier to enjoy your life if there were, weren't so many things trying to kill you every day. The problems start even before you're fully awake. There's the fallout of bed that kills 600 Americans each year. There's the early morning heart attack, which is 40% more common than, than those that strike later in the day. There's the fatal plunge down the stairs, the bite of sausage that gets lodged in your throat, the tumble on the slippery sidewalk as you leave the house, the high-speed automotive pinball game that is your daily commute. Other dangers stalk you all day long. Will a cabbie's brakes fail when you're in the crosswalk? Will you have a violent reaction to bad food? And Kluger had no idea what we were going to experience over these past 15 months. I don't need to detail the challenges that we've all had. There are so many things that can cause concern and burden us down with paralyzing worry. What does Jesus have to say about this? I, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, a portion of the Sermon on the Mount, and I'll be reading from the NIV. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life or as the King James 
has it, or a single cubit to your height. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Allow me to borrow a phrase from Alcoholics Anonymous. Hi, my name is Virgil, and I am a worrier. Anyone else like that? I'm glad that C.S. Lewis said, though, that some people feel guilty about their anxieties and regard them as a defect of faith, but they are afflictions, not sins. I hope that that is true. The Greek word for worry that is used often in the New Testament, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, we read the Apostle Paul saying, Have, having concern for each other in the body of Christ. That's a positive thing. Again, the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 2.20, I have no one else like Timothy who will show genuine concern for your welfare. However, that word that's translated concern in those two passages is more often used in a negative sense. And it's used in a sense in which worry is drawing us in opposite directions or causes us to go to pieces or to be pulled apart. And so this morning, I want to talk about that paralyzing worry that so often threatens us. I spoke to a woman a few days ago after our service on Sunday, and she shared with me a situation that she's going through that is very stressful. And she told me that literally her teeth had been chattering that past week because she was so upset and so worried, and I think that our service had somehow helped her with that worrisome issue. This morning, I want to share some thoughts that came to me from Jesus' words in Matthew 6. There's nothing particularly profound here, but it just speaks to me, and I hope it speaks to you. As we look at Jesus' words, it says to me, when we allow worry to dominate us, we are allowing ourselves to forget or even deny our value to our Heavenly Father. When we allow paralyzing worry to come to our lives, we're forgetting how valuable we are to Him. Speaking of the birds of the air, Jesus asked, are you not more valuable than they? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is yes. I saw a church sign recently that said, Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. And I think that's really good. The psalmist says in Psalm 139, 
You shape me first inside, then out. You form me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You're breathtaking. Body and soul, I am marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book, you watched me grow from conception to birth. All the stages of my life were spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I'd even live one day. That sounds like a relationship with the God that really knows us and values us. King David later in Psalm 71 cries out, even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me. My God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. I have been blessed to pastor wonderful congregations down through my ministry over the last several decades, uh, congregations with diversity of ages and backgrounds. At this particular time, the small church that I'm pastoring part-time is largely seniors. We have many retired missionaries, many retired pastors, many retired lay people. And I have felt a calling in my own life to express to those people how valuable they are. There is no shelf life or an expiration date on our value to our Heavenly Father. I know that there's a, a clamor to reach the young, which we want to do. But I don't believe that we need to reach the young and sacrifice the old. I believe that from birth and before and throughout our lives, we are extremely valuable to God. And so when worry begins to paralyze you or me, let us remember how important we are to the Heavenly Father. Also, worry is pointless and useless. Maybe you've seen the movie Bridge of Spies, when the attorney James Donovan, played by Tom Hanks, is bringing troublesome news on a couple of occasions to his client, the accused Soviet spy, Rudolf Abel, who, who was portrayed by Mark Rylance. A couple of different occasions, he comes to him and, and essentially gives him this bad news, and, and the spy, Rudolf Abel, doesn't react. And finally, uh, the Tom Hanks character says, aren't you worried? And he looks back and he said, would it do any good? And truthfully, it doesn't do any good. It's useless. Jesus says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Regardless of whether Jesus is referring to the futility of extending one's height or one's life, the result is the same. Worrying is futile. This is a good question to consider when tempted to worry about the health of our body. Can you change anything about your body through worrying about it? Since the answer is no, you shouldn't worry. In fact, medical studies have shown that those who worry the most die fastest and, and age fastest. There's something else for you to worry about. If we worry about it, we're making the problem worse. C.S. Lewis said, remember, one is given strength to bear what happens to one, not the 101 different things that might happen. About 14 months ago, my wife and I went for a coronary calcium scan. Her score was zero. A score greater than 300 is a possible sign of a very 
high to severe coronary disease and heart attack risk. Mine was over 4,000. I was concerned. Long story short, I had the coronary artery bypass grafting on May 1st. No, no family was allowed, <coughs> pardon me, due to the COVID-19 restrictions. And I found myself alone so often quoting scriptures and trusting the Lord because he was the only place that I could turn. And I'm thankful that he brought me through that process. Worrying is useless. Number three, worry is counter to faith in God who can do the impossible. The expression, oh, you of little faith, Jesus is literally saying, oh, you of little faiths. Robert Mounts, American New Testament scholar who lived to age 98, wrote, worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. That's pretty strong. George Mueller, who founded schools and orphanages in England in the early 19th century, said, and actually didn't believe he ever asked for money. He just believed that God could provide. He said the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. The angel said to Mary in Luke chapter 1, for with God nothing will be impossible. Number four, the antidote to paralyzing worry and fear is to have the right focus. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Several years ago, I was going through a really difficult, dark time. I won't go into the details, but I was puzzled. I was confused. I didn't understand what had happened, why it had happened, or where I was really going. I was uh, driving up in St. Petersburg, and I decided I wanted to pull through McDonald's for a cup of coffee. And as I pulled through, I ordered that dollar and six cent cup of coffee. And after I ordered, I began to pull up through the drive-thru and I reached in my, to my wallet and pulled it out and I didn't have a single bill. And I, I did have my debit card and I thought, oh, but only losers use their debit card for a dollar six. And I really didn't want to do that. And there's this impression that came to me. Check the cup holder. Just an impression. I looked in the cup holder and I counted out a dollar and three cents. And I have to tell you, I thought to myself, oh, that would have been a wonderful story. That would have been a wonderful story. And then I had a second impression. Something seemed to say to me, check the ashtray. I looked in the ashtray and you wanna guess how many pennies were in that ashtray? Three. I counted out a dollar six. That little lady who took my dollar six had no idea what that dollar six meant to me. But it was like, and this happened several years ago, but it's still real. It was like as I was pulling down that McDonald's parking lot, the Lord said to me, I know exactly where you are. You don't need to be paralyzed with worry or consent 
or concern. I know you, I value you, I know where you are. You might say, well, Virgil, that's, that's pretty random. That's just a coincidence. That's okay. But the Lord used that to speak to me and say, you are valuable. Seek me. Nothing's too hard for me. I'm with you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In closing, I want to just say, do I have time, Susan? In closing, I want to just go back to the Old Testament book of Daniel for a moment. Remember the three Hebrew children, probably young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They were being prepared to be thrown into the fire because they refused to worship at a pagan golden image erected by King Nebuchadnezzar. I think it would have been excusable for them to be anxious, worried, and fearful. King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, if you do not worship, you'll be thrown immediately into the flaming furnace. And what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? But their response, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image which you've set up. You remember the story, they were delivered, but prior to their release from the fiery furnace, the old pagan king saw not three, but four men walking in the fire. The Spear family back in the 90s had a song called, He's Still in the Fire. It tells us a story of a mother reading the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to her children. And at the, end of this chill, at the end of the story, one of the children asked the question, Mama, wait a minute. There's one thing that I must know. If three went in and three came out, where'd that fourth man go? And she said, he's still in the fire and he's walking in the flame and he'll be there to help you when you call upon his name and he can still deliver by his almighty power. While here below, it's good to know he's still in the fire. I want to say to you all, there are a lot of circumstances that can cause all of us to be concerned. I imagine that many of you can testify to instances of God's guidance, assistance, and answered prayer as NBC has been in transition for many years. And now you're getting ready to go for another transition from Dr. Harold Graves to a new president, Scott Sherwood. By the way, I, I went to church as a child with Scott's dad, John. And John and his wife, Bonnie, uh, attend our church sometimes in the winter. And in fact, uh, I share an aunt, an Aunt Rosalie with Scott, and God's going to be with you. But I want you to remember that through all that you've been through and all you're going through in these days ahead, you're valuable to God. It's pointless to be dominated by worry. It's counter to faith in God who can do the impossible. Seek him and his will and his kingdom first and he will continue to be with you in the fire, in your fire. God bless you today.